Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. Um, our text for this series comes out of the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is known for what? Wisdom. If you need wisdom in how to run your business, where should you go? If you want business, or if you want wisdom in your money, where should you go? Proverbs. In your notes, let's look at our text for this series, and this is going to be a little different. We have an overarching arcing text, and then we have a bunch of subtexts that are going to be themes for the series as, as well. Um, it's starting out as a three-week series, very potentially going to be seven or eight weeks. The more I've dived into this, um, I'm actually I'm going to talk about money, uh, but I'm going to do it from a completely different way, not asking you to give more money to the church. We're good. Not, it's nothing like that. I want to teach you biblical principles of wisdom when it comes to to operating your finances. Because if the church is healthy financial, and I'm not saying Pathway Church, I'm saying the people of the church, it's amazing how much more free you are to do what God's called you to do. So let's go ahead and start reading um, our theme verse for the series. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This series is gonna be a little more teachy than preachy. Like whenever I start preaching the word, I get excited, don't you know? Like I yell a lot and I sweat and I get excited. This one is not gonna be one of those series. This is going to be like, wow, I didn't understand that in the Bible. I did not see that. And it's gonna be very much a teachy type message. Um, but in verse 10 of what we just read, God speaks to this idea that your barns are being filled. In the Hebrew language, that word barn is interchangeable with the word called storehouse. I am for this series going to call it storehouse because in the town I grew up in, there was a place called the barn and it was the alcohol drive-through joint. So every time I think of the barn, I think of the drive-through joint. I never actually went through there, but it was on the strip at campus and I can't get that image out of my mind. So we're going to call it the storehouse. And the words are used interchangeably. Uh, the word storehouse, or barns, but storehouse is given to us in a plural sentence form, meaning there are multiple types of storehouses that can be filled. Uh, for example, a wheat farmer will not have the same type of storehouse as a hay farmer. A hay farmer has to have a storehouse that's open and wide. Adrienne, whenever we first started uh, dating, we went to one of their dairies and the guys had stacked up all the hay in one of the barns. Well, he put in the hay wet and, t and put it in tight. Well, the wet hay in the tight, in the tight space without airflow created so much heat that it caught the whole barn on fire and they lost all their crop. So there are different types of storehouses that are needed to do different types of things. If you have a grain silo, you've got to have a storehouse that's watertight. So you keep the water out, you keep the vermin out, you keep all of that out. But also it mentions in verse 10 that your vats will be bursting. Vats is a liquid storehouse. So there are multiple kinds of storehouses that we establish. And what we're going to look at in this series are specifically three types of storehouses that the Lord shows us. If we're going to walk in wisdom when it comes to our finances, how do we establish our storehouse according to the purpose that God has for our lives individually? Uh, whenever you think 
think of liquid storehouse, we, we kind of get the association of a dry storehouse as cash and all, and all that stuff. The liquid storehouse, anybody ever got a loan from a bank? They want to see how much money you have available in liquid cash. They don't care how much you have in the stock market. They don't care how much you have tied up in other properties. They want to know how much cash do you have on hand. That is known as liquid cash, cash that is available. Are you following me? Okay. Whenever we look at the life of Abraham, he had a storehouse that was befitting to his way of operating. Let's look in your notes and let's read Genesis chapter 13. Verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. We know through reading more of Genesis, most of the wealth of Abraham came in livestock. Abraham grew up in a place called Ur the Chaldeans. Uh, and God said, I'm going to take you someplace else. So God takes him to a place called Canaan. When Abraham lived there, it was very prosperous and flowed with milk. I'm going to make sense of that in a moment. Abraham dies, and 200 years later, Moses appears on the scene and leads the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. The children of Israel, when they came to the promised land, God told them in your notes, Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let me explain with milk and honey. Abraham had a land flowing with milk. God told the children of Israel, you have a land flowing with milk and honey. God is saying to the children of Israel, um, you are going to operate a little higher than what Abraham walked in. So milk represents pasture grazing, livestock. God told Abraham, you have a land full of milk. He had a lot of livestock. When he told the children of Israel, you have milk and honey, honey represents farmland, crops, uh, sowing seed, reaping seed, planting stuff. All that, does all that make sense? So whenever he says there is a land flowing with milk and honey, the economy in which you are to operate out of Israel is both pasture, milk, cows, livestock, goats, chickens, all that stuff, and farmland, honey, which is corn and wheat and whatever else you plant in the ground and eat. I don't eat any of that stuff. So um, you got, are, are you following me so far? I see some of your eyes are like, are we talking about money? Are we talking about farm? Are we talk, what, what, What's going on here? All right, here's when you get kind of teachy for a second. You got to follow close. Abraham had a land of milk implying pasture only. So the main storehouse that Abraham would have used would have been suitable for grazing livestock. It was after Moses led the Egyptians out of slavery into the promised land that now God said this land, the promised land Israel, is going to be flowing with both milk, pasture land, and honey, farmland. The land that they came into in verse 8, what we just read, says it is good and it is 
broad, meaning the land is good and fertile and it is broad and vast. You have fertile land for crops, vast land for livestock. Are you following me? Okay. Um, Abraham did not need to have farmland. He needed to have pasture land because he was never going to stay in one place for very long. God had him moving from place to place and that caused him to not have a permanent location where he could plant crops and see that crop all the way through. Abraham had what was referred to as tent wealth. Uh, you know, like camping tent, tent wealth. Abraham had to have a particular large kind of wealth to take care of the tent village that he was in charge of. Uh, what we know is the village that Abraham operated in had just about a thousand people. If you're an employer and you have a thousand employees, that's going to take a whole lot of money. He was responsible for a thousand people. One day, his nephew Lot was captured by a group of people, and look what Abraham did to him in Genesis chapter 14 in your notes. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. At night, Abraham sent 318 of his men and wreaked havoc on the people who took his nephew. And the Bible goes on to say that those 318 men took all of their possessions and all their wealth and brought them back to his tent. Abraham had a large force around him because he had so much livestock, he had so much wealth, that he had to have 318 men who were trained. Think of that on your payroll. 318 people every month need a paycheck. 318 people have families that need to eat. But he's responsible for a 1,000 people. It wasn't like, hey, everyone, let's go down to McDonald's and get a job here. Let's go over here and get a job. No, he was responsible. The livestock and all of that and what he took care of, he was responsible for all their bills. So here is Abraham, and he has a 1,000 people that he is in charge of, and God has a special plan upon his life because it is through this genealogy, this bloodline, that the Messiah would one day come. Abraham had a purpose upon his life that was beyond him, and and God allowed him to have great wealth upon his life. Look at this statement in your notes, and we're going to unpack this. And I'm about to take off running because I told you I was going to teach it, but I'm getting excited about this. Provision follows purpose. If you are a person who loves responsibility, you love managing people, you love making big decisions, you love making difficult decisions, it is more likely that you will have greater provision on your life than someone who just wants to clock in at eight and clock out at five. The different purpose provides different provision. Abraham had a purpose for his life, and God allowed the necessary provision to provide for his purpose. Ah, here we go. Uh, I've, I've had uh, many people tell me, Taylor, if, if I could have a business like yours, and I would do that, and, and I would be like, and I say, you can have a business like mine, but are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to that point? 
And that's where most people fall off. They're not willing to do whatever it takes to get to the point to where you have a successful business. So what happens is there is prosperity on my business because I'm responsible for a greater number of people. So therefore, the provision for my business needs to have greater wealth and depth to it than someone who just goes in and clocks in at eight, clocks out at five. Does that make sense? If you're willing to work harder than everyone else, you can have what everyone else has, but it works the same thing in everything. If you want to be a great musician, you've got to work harder than everyone else. Abigail wakes up every morning on her own and she's in there going, do, 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 plopping on that piano and she's becoming a musician. She is working at it more than I am and she's a better musician than I am. But if I wanted to be good, what would I have to do? Go in there and practice and do what no one else is willing to do to get to where no one else has gotten. If I want to be an entrepreneur and have businesses, I've got to learn to take risk and say, I can open up this kind of business and this kind of business. And if I, if I want to have financial success, I want to be a rich person. You can't be rich on one income. You've got to learn how to create multiple income streams into your family. If you're willing to do what no one else has done, you're going to have what no one else has. Okay. I need you to get this next statement in your heart because I'm going to take off. The purpose you walk in is in direct correlation to the provision that God will provide. Let me say it again. The purpose that you walk in is in direct correlation to the provision that God will provide. If your purpose is small, you need small provision. If your purpose is vast, you'll need vast provision. Are you following me? When we started our business here five years ago in Norman, in the first year, we were the highest rated cleaning company in Norman. The second year, we crossed over a million dollars. The third year, we were exploding beyond what we were needing. And we were looking at it saying like, we don't even need all this. It's happening all so fast. Why was God blessing our business? It wasn't because I'm that great of a businessman. It was because there was provision for the purpose that was upon my life. God knew that we would be starting a church that would require a great deal of funds and I'll be hanged if I come in here asking and begging for money every week because my God will supply all of my needs and it happened to come in me in the form of work. So what did I have to do? God provided the provision for the purpose that's placed upon my life. I promise you if we were not running this church my business would be downhill within six weeks. My business is successful only because it provides the provision for the purpose. Provision has been provided by God that is in direct proportion to my purpose. The individual that is responsible for no one will likely have a small provision, but the individual who is responsible for many will have a greater provision upon their life. Josh, is that not correct? You have employees working for you. If you only had yourself as an employee, you would be making bank right now, but you couldn't do near as much work. But God says, I'm going to give more business and have more employees, and that requires more what to come into your hands? More resources because there's more employees there. You take... uh, uh, Kaylin, you don't have a, a company. You don't need the same amount of resources that Josh does because you don't have any member responsible for paying your bills, right? Your mom and dad's still paying. Your mom's still paying. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Your, <laughs> your, mom, your mom is paying the bills. You don't need the same provision on your life that Josh needs for his life because there's two separate purposes. Are you following me? 
I'm just laying some groundwork here. I'm getting a little excited, but I'm just laying some groundwork. Let me, uh, uh, the blessing of the Lord is linked to your calling. The blessing of the Lord is linked to your calling. If you limit your calling, you limit the blessing of God upon your life. If you limit the calling of God upon your life, you limit the blessing that God will put upon your life. If you are broke and working your tail off and you're broke not because you have bad spending habits, but because you just can't seem to get ahead, somewhere you are operating outside of your calling. The more, let me say it this way, the, the more finely in tune with your calling that you operate in, the greater level of blessing you will flow through. <laughs> the, the, the more finely in tune to your calling that you operate in, the greater level of blessing you will walk in. My family lives blessed, not because we're better than anyone else, but because we are focused upon the calling that God has placed upon our lives and we stay within those boundaries. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Wisdom says, this is beneficial for what God has called me to do. This is not beneficial for what God has called me to do. So I am going to do what's beneficial. And because we stick to doing what's beneficial, there's greater provision upon our lives. When God supplied, I'm on the next page, the provision for the purpose that he placed upon my life. In my case, that came in the form of working a whole lot working more than most at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, getting phone calls. Hey, okay, I'm coming. I don't want to, but I'll come because it provides the provision for the vision. The more I align myself with my calling, the more money that's been made available to me. The more I align myself with my calling, the more money that's been made available to me. When we were in California this past week, um, my aunt, I shared this Friday night in, our, in your prayer meeting, um, my aunt called us up and she prayed for us and, and, and she prayed for us and kind of hit down a couple of people and then a few minutes later, uh, the service was going on and she stopped and she said, Taylor, you and I are carrying the call upon this family. Let's do this together. What she was telling me is, Taylor, you're operating in the calling that God has for you. It was after service, we were going to the back, and uh, she, said, she said, Taylor, you are operating inside of your calling. When you think about storehouses, you think about what your purpose in life is, and your storehouse will be established according to your purpose. My lips going numb. So if I start setting like this, <laughs> I apologize. I won't kiss you, Mike. Oh, did you say somebody else? I'm sorry, I took that as you. When you think about your storehouse, you think more about your purpose in life and your storehouse will be established according to your purpose. God, that's good. There are three types of storehouses taught in Deuteronomy. 
These are not referring to like wheat or grain storehouses. This is what we call um, use storehouses, spiritual and usage storehouse. And um, I need you to understand the context of what these storehouses look like. And so we're going to read um, 14 verses in Deuteronomy, and then I'm going to highlight one of them. But I need you to get the whole context of what's taking place. And these 14 verses will be the text for today, next Sunday, and the week after. And then I'm going to get into the miracles of the storehouse. I've already started writing that one. I mean, I, I almost preached that one first just because it got me so excited. But hey, this is working out pretty good too. So um, let's look in your notes and go ahead and read the whole thing. No one falls asleep. Pay attention. I know it's long, but read it fun. Don't be, don't be boring. Wow. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, uh, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. You guys ought to be reading ways. this and claiming it for yourself. I'm getting excited That's just right. listening to it. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and More in all houses. you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Mm. The Lord will establish Just you as a yourself. people yeah. holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of you. Mm. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock. And in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. <laughs> the Lord will open to you his treasury, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. Side note right there. If you're a lender and not a borrower, do you think the, the poor lend money? Mm -mm. That's all I'm going to say about yeah. that. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. You ought to take that and read that sucker every day. And you just confess that over your life. That's good. Man, I should have wrote that. That's pretty good. The, the first storehouse that we're going to look at is called, write down, it's your only blank for today, um, is number one, the immediate use storehouse. The immediate use storehouse. Um, let's look back on the flip side at verse five. At the very bottom, you guys still spelling immediate? <laughs> two, is, there, is there two M's or one? <laughs> Sorry, Keaton. <laughs> Do you have the hooked on phonics version? <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy 8 5. Let's look at it, or 28 5, real quick. 
On the flip side, I put it in bold. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Let me explain. We're talking about the storehouse. These two words, or three words, but two terms, whatever. This is how your storehouse is the first definition of what an immediate use storehouse looks like. Again, we're teaching you something today. We're not preaching that, we're teaching. This is, this is deep Bible thinking right here. You gotta look beyond what's on the surface. This is like layer three or so in understanding the Bible. Um, this is the first reference to what is called the immediate use storehouse. And we have the first word is the word basket. Whenever you look at the word basket, that is likened to a modern day lunch box. Just follow me on this. I promise you it'll make sense. Uh, Whenever they would give someone food, they would put it in a basket and that food would last just a few days. Uh, It would be for immediate use. (laughs) Your lunchbox, when you give your kid a lunchbox to go to school, do you give it to him today for two weeks from now? No, you give it to him today. If he's going to be gone for a couple of days or four or five days, like uh, sometimes you go on a vacation, what do you do? You get several items that you can put in there so you can have snacks along the way, but you don't put food in there for two or three weeks. You don't put food in there that would be a normal full-blown meal for a month. This is immediate use storehouse is a basket, and the basket is referring to something that you have tangibly in your hands. Um, you can look at it and say, it's like a wallet, like your billfold. Your wallet, what do you guys call it? Wallet, billfold? It's like a, it's like a wallet. Uh, the basket is like a wallet. You can pull out cash and just use it immediate. The, the second term is a kneading bowl. Now, this one's a little bit more trickier for me because I don't understand this one because this doesn't happen in our home. But in... Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I make the bread the other way. I bring in the dough. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, this is like the kneading bowl, or it's like, um, you know, it's, you guys can probably explain this better than I do. You, you make sourdough bread, and you put it all together. You put the yeast, you put all that stuff in there, and you've seen those restaurants that say, like, our yeast is 100 years old or whatever. You make a lump of bread, and then you pull some of it out, and you put it aside on the table, and then the next day, you come, you take that side that you put on, on the side, you put that in this clump, mix it all together, you pull out a clump, and stick it on the table and you bake this and you do that over and over and over and that's how you get a hundred year old yeast is, is that correct yeah that, that, that's correct okay so that is kind of like the kneading bowl it, it is something that would be that you stick uh, your resources into like a refrigerator or a table you have resources available to you you don't need them today but you're going to need them in the very 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 near future it's not something you can leave out. You, you can't leave bread out on the table for months and months. You can leave that little bit of dough out and uh, you put it in a bowl and you put saran wrap on top of it and you can leave it out for a couple of, a day and then what happens to it? It starts to rise. And if you don't use it, it goes bad. It's an immediate use type thing. So whenever you look at these two terms, you've got a basket that is referring to like a purse or a wallet. And then you have the kneading bowl, which is referred to like as a shelf or a refrigerator. So what this is saying is the first storehouse that is that you are to have in your budget is an immediate use storehouse, is something that you keep close to 
you and you have available to you whenever you need it. Jesus had an immediate use storehouse and I wanna show you how it worked. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Philip shows us how much money he had in his immediate use storehouse. This is the basket of money that Judas oversaw. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. We're all on the same page. He oversaw the money. But uh, uh, Philip tells us how much money would have been in that basket. Let's look at John chapter six and read these two verses. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip is showing us the multitude is so great that they have 200 denarii in their purse. A denarii would be a single day's wage. A single denarii, denarii is a single denarii. One denarii is one day's wage. Is that right? Okay. Um, so if they had 200 denarii, denarii, how many days wages is that? 200. You guys are, okay. So it is believed uh, that they would have had about 200 denarii, denarii in their money basket at any given time. Jesus was responsible for 12 men, their families, and himself. Have you ever thought about that? The disciples had families, and those families would have needed financial support. It was the role of the man to provide the dough. It was the role of the man to provide the resources while the women took care of the children, the home, and the feeding, and the breading, and the making, and the clothing, and all of that stuff. But it was the man's responsibility to provide the income for what was to happen. Jesus calls 12 men and says, hey, you come follow me. These families are now unemployed. Do you think he's going to leave them in that position? No, he's a loving God. So Jesus is responsible for 12 men, their families, and himself. When you look at the 12 men that he picked, Jesus did not pick 12 men who were lazy. Four of them owned fishing companies. Two of them worked for fishing companies. One was a physician. One was a tax collector. The other three, we don't know for sure, but it is said one was a farmer, one was a tradesman, one was a bookkeeper. Any way you look at it, Jesus picked 12 people who had been providing for their family who were not lazy and did not work. Jesus picked people who knew how to work. We can assume that all the people that Jesus picked, even the three that we're not sure about, had jobs, but Jesus had to now take responsibility for their employment and pay for their expenses to be covered. Jesus had to pay for their traveling. He had to pay for their food. He had to pay all those expenses that you have when you have 12 guys who get bored and wanna go do something. They need entertainment. They, he had to cover all those expenses. So whenever you break down the, the wage of what was adequate in the Bible days, there was 200 denarii that they had made available to them. But if you break it down and pay each person a, a, a livable wage to send back to their money, do you wanna know how much money he kept in his purse? This is so cool. Two-week paycheck. He had 200 denarii, which had been 
one denarii per day, if you take all those employees, he carried enough on him at any given time to cover two weeks' pay. Where do you think we get our two-week paycheck from? That's kind of cool. Probably something you never thought about. The storehouse that Jesus used was an immediate-use storehouse. This today, we're talking very practical. I'm not asking for money. I'm not talking about my money. I'm talking about your budget, your money, your way of doing it. Here's what happened. There are some people out there that teach that the, the Bible is made for you to just be so rich, and they call it the prosperity gospel. You're supposed to be, have more money than everyone else, and, and you're supposed to have more stuff than everyone else. And then you have a whole group of people over here that teach the pastors should be poor. They shouldn't have nice stuff. The church should be broke. The church air conditioner should cut out two or three times a month just to know that we just depending on God for our air conditioner. Both are wrong. I stand in a place where the Bible does show prosperity, but how we handle our money is different than biblical prosperity of a prosperity gospel. Does that make sense? We handle our money God honoring. What you, and we're gonna talk about this in, in I'm gonna, we'll skip, we'll do it next week. Uh, we're gonna talk about how, uh, I'm gonna show you two different examples of how people use God's money. One use it for himself and one use it for God and the benefit of both of them and how it looks. It's, it's so fun. Um, but you've got both camps. I land in the middle. Um, and I think this is the healthy place to be. I think I can prove it biblically, I can prove it doctrinally, I can prove it soundly that you are not meant to be poor. You are also not meant to be worth a billion dollars and you, and you hoard all the money. You can be worth a billion if you're giving away a billion. Does that make sense? Um, if you're, I can't go down that road. We'll get there. Um, many people believe that Christians should live with this idea of what we call uh, hand-to-mouth, meaning you don't really know where tomorrow's food's gonna come from. It's not biblical. And I'm gonna prove it to you and show it to you over the next few weeks. And again, I'm teaching biblical prosperity, not prosperity gospel. Does that make sense? We understand the two and we're, we're on the same page. We're teaching biblical theology. What does the Bible say about our resources? Again, have I asked for money one time? Am I telling you you need to give more to the church because if you give more to the church, then it'll all be, no. that's not where I'm going. I am teaching strictly how the Bible functions when it comes to our resources. Because let me tell you this, if you have money, it makes life so much easier. Whenever you're broke, it makes life so much more difficult. And so if we can understand, if we're going to go as a church where God's called us to go, we've all gotta be on the same page of biblical prosperity and we're here to support each other, help each other, talk about these things with each other, hold each other accountable, and we're, we're gonna do all that. Um, but we are to live with funds that are accessible in the immediate use storehouse. This is stewarding properly the resources that God has given to you. Your storehouse will look different than my storehouse. My storehouse will look different than your store. Your storehouse will look different than Kevin's storehouse. 
Uh, we talked about it at, at the beginning. Your storehouse will be in direct proportion to the operation you are operating in in your purpose. Your immediate use storehouse may be $1,000. Again, we're looking at two weeks because Jesus had enough to pay his disciples too. Your immediate, you, you, you may say, hey, $1,000 every two weeks covers my expenses. Or you may have a business and you say, hey, my immediate use storehouse two weeks is 100,000 or 500,000. So the number is irrelevant when it comes to that. It's understanding the, the concept, the idea of what this looks like, the principle that we're learning. There is a storehouse that is directly proportional to your purpose. There is a storehouse that you need to establish that is in direct proportion to the purpose that's upon your life. If you have a purpose to raise children, your storehouse will be bigger than someone who doesn't have children. If you have a purpose to own a business, your storehouse will be different than someone who doesn't own a business. It, do you get where I'm going with all that? I don't need to beat a dead horse. Are, are you following me? Okay. If uh, um, biblical wisdom is to have funds available in your immediate use storehouse, it is up to you and your purpose to decide how much those funds are. Um, if uh, I'm going to close this sermon down, I'm, I've got multiple pages here, and I went long. Um, if if you don't steward your finances properly, it will limit what God can do in your life. You can say, God, I want to go do this. I feel that you've called to go do this. God said, I provided that for here, but you went and blew those resources here, and now you can't do what God's called you to do, and now you're blaming God for something that you did on your own because you didn't steward what he gave you to begin with. In the immediate use storehouse, I'm trying to make this as plain and simple as I can, um, there's enough financial means to always cover two weeks. So when it comes to looking at your budget, what does your budget every two weeks look like? Let's say easy math. Let's say that your budget is $1,000 per week, four weeks. You have $1,000 comes out for, for saving and giving and, and all that stuff the first week of the month. The second week of the month, you have a $1,000 mortgage. The third week of the month, you have $1,000 food, insurance, taxes. The fourth week of the month, you have car bills and all the other random expenses that come up. It costs you, easy math for me because I'm not a great mathematician. It costs you $1,000 a week to survive $4,000 a month. How much money do you need in your immediate use storehouse? Do the math. Three thousand, because at any given point you just spend a thousand dollars, you need two weeks inside your paycheck, inside your storehouse. So you always have to have more than what your expenses are. Does that make sense? Makes sense, mathematician Terrence. He didn't make sense. He's still he's still struggling. Okay, you have a thousand dollars a week. You spend a thousand. Now you only have a thousand in your bank. You no longer have two thousand. You no longer have two weeks. Uh, uh, in, your, in, your, in your store plus, in your storehouse. Does that make sense? So whatever your expenses are, that's how you offset. That is biblical wisdom of how to operate your finances. So getting very practical. When you look at your budget, I'm, I'm gonna teach you something over the next three weeks. So don't go start changing your budgets all around. You need to take the whole thing before you start adjusting anything. But I'll tell you this. Uh, God has blessed us and it's worked hasn't it? We, we've done this for years. 
we have, we keep on hand three weeks, it's two weeks, but it's, in my head it's three weeks, uh, accessible funds for whatever it costs. That is immediate. So you, you know what happens whenever you're not worried about having a bill tomorrow? Nothing. Freedom. Excitement. I'm not worried. We have no debt in our family. I don't have car payment. We don't have anything. You, you know what makes my life a lot easier to operate as? Knowing that I don't have to worry about it because I put the Bible to use and said, God, how do we orchestrate our business, our budget to align ourselves to do how you've called us to live to, in order for our purpose to be fulfilled? The last thing I want to do is stand up here and say, oh, we don't have anything to do this. We're messing up here. God's not providing over here. That's nonsense. You will never hear a fundraiser in this church because my God will supply all of the needs according to his riches. And as long as we are operating in the calling that our purpose is supposed to look like, he provides the provision for the purpose. In Jesus' name, okay. <laughs> I, my mind's going a million directions because there's so much to this. Um, when it comes to the, the storehouse, there's three different storehouses. There's the immediate use storehouse. Next week, we're going to talk about a second kind of storehouse. And then the third week, we're gonna talk about the third kind of storehouse. And all three of them work together in order for you to have biblical prosperity. I didn't say prosperity gospel, biblical prosperity. If your goal in, in being a faith follower in Christ is to have more stuff, we need to talk after church. This is not the goal. The goal of what God has called us on earth to do is to win lost people is to see lost people saved, is to see lost people healed, to see saved people healed, to, to see people delivered from bondages that they've had for years and years and they can't do what to do. But you can't do that if you're so worried about where your budget's gonna be tomorrow. There is freedom whenever you operate inside the guide rails of biblical understanding of your finances. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make the sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. 
You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, and I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K.com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.